Hey, this is Acronym TV. So what do you stand for? Hey, I'm Dennis Trainer Jr. coming to you from my basement outside of Boston, Massachusetts. I want to welcome you all to the very first edition of Dear Joe Biden here on Acronym TV. Dear Joe Biden is a show that will ask you to engage in a little nuance, which I know is difficult to do in an era when the daily assault on common decency fired from the cannon's mouth that is Trump's bully pulpit has set the bar so low that the highest aspirations that many people can dream of are simply to drive the Trump regime out of office. But for many of us, Trump has set the bar so low that, yeah, Joe Biden just may clear it. And in that objective, I'm with you. But an enemy of our enemy is not always our friend. And Joe, you do have a long track record of implementing and supporting policies that are, quite frankly, simply not friendly. And Madam President, we have predators on our streets that society has, in fact, in part because of its neglect, created. Again, it does not mean because we created them that we somehow forgive them or do not take them out of society to protect my family and yours from them. They are beyond the pale, many of those people. Beyond the pale. And it's a sad commentary on society. We have no choice but to take them out of society. And so getting you elected without laying the groundwork for real power to pull Joe Biden and the entire Democratic Party to the left will be a victory, yes. But ask yourself, what does the so-called post-Trump normal that we all desire a return to actually look like? Can you manifest that future in your mind? And does Joe Biden have what it takes to get us there? As Jeremy Scahill points out, quote, among the wild cards of a Biden administration will be the issue of whether he has the actual mental stamina to govern or if he's going to be frequently disorientated and infrequently seen or heard. Setting aside the protestations of people who pretend they don't see exactly what everyone else does when Biden speaks in public, we are not actually being asked to vote for Biden as the candidate because the Biden we see is a shell of his former self. We are being asked to vote for a spin-off of the Obama show, a cast of familiar characters and a few exciting new additions who would take charge of the executive branch without the popular star of the original show among the visible cast. And those are the conditions that make spin-offs such a risky bet. Now, I know what you're saying. Yes, the Jeffersons and Good Times were each TV classics that were also spin-offs of another classic, All in the Family. And Zena, the warrior princess, was far better than its predecessor. I mean, who even remembers Hercules, the legendary journeys? And sure, Happy Days spun off with Mork and Mindy, another classic show, but Happy Days also spun off Joni Loves Chachi. And in the graveyard of bad American TV shows, there are legions of Joni fucking loves Chachis which we don't want in a Joe Biden future. And so as we long for this Obama era spinoff, we can do well to sharpen our focus on just exactly what we are wishing for.
to refresh our memory. The United States of America did not become this tottering empire, this country that in many ways is descending into a failed state in the last three and a half years of Trumpian abuse and criminal mismanagement alone. Yes, he is speeding up the process, but it is not his alone. We can't blame the fact that billionaires, by some measures of accounting, made mountains of more billions in this opening chapter of our unfolding global pandemic crisis on Trump's response alone. Yes, the fact that one in four working people has filed for unemployment is a bipartisan failure of our current cast of Washington leaders, Trump chief among them, but the wealth divide in the country has been widening so obscenely that graphic designers have had to create visual explainers like this for the math challenge people like me to even begin to wrap our heads around the looting that is taking place by the billionaire class. Yes, the looting that is taking place by the billionaire class. Here's the actual distribution of wealth in America. The poorest Americans don't even register. They're down to pocket change. And the middle class is barely distinguishable from the poor. In fact, even the rich between the top 10 and 20 percentile are worse off. Only the top 10 percent are better off. And how much better off? So much better off that the top 2 to 5 percent are actually off the chart at this scale. And the top 1 percent, this guy, well his stack of money stretches 10 times higher than we can show. Here's his stack of cash, restacked, all by itself. This is the top 1% we've been hearing so much about. So much green in his pockets that I have to give him a whole new column of his own because he won't fit on my chart. 1% of America has 40% of all the nation's wealth. The bottom 80%, 8 out of every 10 people, or 80 out of these 100, only has 7% between them. And this has only gotten worse in the last 20 to 30 years. On another front, we can't blame the fact that the United States of America, with about 4.4% of the entire world's population, imprisons over 22% of the world's prisoners on Donald Trump. Nor can we blame the overt racism cooked into the system at the feet of Donald Trump. We can't lay that blame there. As Michelle Alexander correctly points out in her groundbreaking book, The New Jim Crow, published in 2010, quote, we have not ended racial caste in America, we have merely redesigned it. The policies that have robbed generations of primarily black and brown communities were not instituted by Trump, although he favors them, they are baked into the very DNA of a nation founded and built upon systemic white supremacy, advanced by policies that both Democrats and Republicans, bit by bit, helped shape together. Putting it together, piece by piece, working out the vision night and day. What it takes is time and perseverance, dealing with details along the way. We can't blame a world in which police forces are armed with an endless supply of hyper-militarized gear while nurses working in COVID wards at the epicenter of a global pandemic in New York City are wearing trash bags and starting GoFundMe campaigns to buy PPE on Trump alone. Yes, Trump bangled, bangled, bungled, fucked up that process. A big deal, but that... The military-industrial complex literally creates jobs in every single congressional district in the country. Jobs that fuel the production of weapons that arm our military and spread out all over the world, whose hand-me-downs 
arm local police forces like they are in an apocalyptic cosplay. Fit by fit, start by start, strike by strike, kick by kick, glide by glide, stick by stick, side by side by side by side by side by side. And that is the state of the As we rightfully set our sights on getting Donald Trump out of office, let us not delude ourselves into fetishizing the Obama era too much, the coattails of which seem to be atop the reasons why Joe Biden is the unlikely candidate to emerge from a very robust field of primary contenders. Remember, Obama, who had the Martin Luther King Jr. quote, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice, embroidered into the rug of the Oval Office, also continued to preside over a U.S. foreign policy that, as Martin Luther King Jr. rightfully described, was the greatest purveyor of violence in the world. It was true when King said it. It remains true today. You can't just borrow and choose the convenient Martin Luther King quotes that you want to use for your purposes. The violence is expensive. According to Forbes magazine, not exactly a conspiracy theory or purveyor of socialist tracts, we're talking Forbes magazine, the amount that the United States Army lost in 2015, money they can't even account for, was $6.5 trillion. With a T. Trillion. As co-authors Mark Skidmore, a professor of economics at Michigan State University and Forbes contributing writer Lawrence Kotlinkoff write, quote, given the entire army budget of the fiscal year 2015 was 120 billion, with a B, unsupported adjustments were 54 times the level of spending authorized by Congress. 6.5 trillion. Think about that number. The Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security, or CARES Act, found 2 trillion less than a third, two trillion to spend, and some of us even got 1,200 bucks out of the deal. And so while we're throwing around trillions, Washington, how about a Green New Deal that transitions to a massive jobs program and gets us off fossil fuels? How about free state college for all? How about debt forgiveness, a debt jubilee? How about universal basic income? And once and for all, can we just join every other developed country in the, in the world and adopt a single payer system for health care. This pandemic underscores the need to annul, divorce, the marriage between employment and health insurance and cover everybody under an improved Medicare for all system. So get this, the U.S. Army unsupported spending was 54 times the level approved by Congress. And you want to tell me that with an adjustment of priorities, we could not create systems of justice that would make the calls for peace from white people crying over broken windows and the so-called looting happening in American cities right now moot? Because when there is justice, there will be peace. That's the order. Perhaps I should let Brittany Packnett Cunningham's recent response to Chris Hayes on this topic stand in here. Justice requires more than order. It actually requires people experiencing life 
that are equitable and that are fair. If you want true peace, you have to invoke justice mm. and not just wish for order. We are tired of folks telling us that this is the first time they've ever known that this is what Black people were suffering. It's not the first time Black people have been photographed or filmed when we've been killed. This is not the first time Black people have endured multiple crises at one time. This is not the first time that we've been enduring this kind of racial terror in this country. The police are killing more people, not less, than they were in 2014. And they're killing just as many people as they were before coronavirus as they are right now. So I, I don't need people to tell me that they're more concerned about property than they are about people. I keep saying this. Fix the conditions that get people this angry in the first place, and you won't have to worry about your precious order. And Joe Biden, what do you say? I will. It's a long way until November. We got more questions. You got more questions, but I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black. It don't have nothing to do with Trump. It has to do with the fact I want something for my community. Okay, I know. I know he apologized. He walked it back. But the problem of Joe Biden's career is that it is long. In the movie version of the injustices of the late 20th and early 21st century, wealth gap and school-to-prison pipeline and mass incarceration and illegal wars that cost the lives of millions and the bucket loads of trillions of government spending. In that movie, in that even lowercase w woke version of history, Joe Biden is like Forrest fucking Gump. His fingerprints are all over everything. Are you stupid or something? Stupid is, stupid does, sir. It is appropriate to ask Professor Hill anything any member wishes to ask her to plumb the depths of her credibility. Bit by bit, putting it together, piece by piece, only way to make a work of art. We have this notion that somehow if you're poor, you cannot do it. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. Every moment makes a contribution. Every little detail plays a part. Having just the vision's no solution. Everything depends on execution. Putting it together, that's what counts. We must take back the streets. It doesn't matter whether or not the person that is accosting your son or daughter or my son or daughter, my wife, your husband, my mother, your parents, it doesn't matter whether or not they were deprived as a youth. It doesn't matter or not whether or not they had no background that enabled them to have to uh, become uh, uh, social, uh, become socialized into the fabric of society. It doesn't matter whether or not they're the victims of society. The end result is they're about to knock my mother on the head with a lead pipe, shoot my sister, beat up my wife, take on my sons. So I don't want to ask. What made them do this? They must be taken off the street. I mean, he sounds a little bit like Alex Jones in that old video, doesn't he? Because I'm somebody that thought I could fix this, and I'm starting to think about having to eat my neighbors. You think I like sizing up my neighbor, how I'm going to haul him up by a chain and chop his ass up? I'll do it. My children aren't going hungry. I will eat your ass. Even earlier this week, as Biden tried to signal a world where policing in the United States would be more humane, his utopian vision involved training officers to shoot people in the leg instead of the heart. And the idea that instead of 
standing there and teaching a cop and there's an unarmed person coming at him with a knife or something, shooting him in the leg instead of in the heart, is a very different thing. There's a lot of different things that can change. The unanswered question of this campaign is how many times can Biden shoot himself in the foot and still inspire enough people to vote for him? So yeah, while there is a strong urge to brush those shortcomings under the rug, ignore them, hold our ears and close our eyes and hope that Joe Biden can cross the finish line, this project believes that we can have a conversation with our friends and enemies as Joe seeks to displace the corrupt, disgusting regime of the Twitter troll-in-chief who currently occupies the White House and has, lucky for us, the attention span of a fruit fly. I say lucky because if the Donald wasn't so lazy and unfocused, so bogged down by his own attention span, this would be so much worse than it already already is. As it is, his inner circle keeps getting smaller and smaller, and he's now surrounded by the Christian fascist Mike Pence, this mean girl, and her husband, who's a white supremacist. These are the people scripting the reality TV show we are living through now. And anyone watching Trump, the performance artist slash reality TV show producer on Monday night, saw vintage Trump. He wants this war. He loves this role, and unfortunately for us, he's good at this. Also, he's a fascist. Listen to him. All Americans were rightly sickened and revolted by the brutal death of George Floyd. My administration is fully committed that for George and his family, justice will be served. He will not have died in vain. But we cannot allow the righteous cries and peaceful protesters to be drowned out by an angry mob. <laughs> so just as Trump was saying he would not let a peaceful protest be drowned out by an angry mob, an armed angry mob of D.C. Park Police was violently clearing Lafayette Park just a few hundred yards away on the orders of Donald J. Trump. Uh, we've also seen tear gas being used. Here we go, they're moving through again. This is exactly what it looks like. Exactly what it looks like. We're the state. Exactly. Oh. Whoa. Oh. Amelia, can you hear us? Amelia, you This act of unprovoked violence, just so this P.T. Barnum showman could swing his dick and stroll across the street to pose with a Bible in front of a church. The hypocrisy of this moment is stunning. As stunning as the fact that it was red meat tossed to the animals of his MAGA crowd and that they loved it. In the words of Steve Kerr, the coach of the Golden State Warriors NBA basketball team, quote, I feel so much better now seeing him hold the Bible. Now I know he is a moral man, driven by family values and a strict set of personal ethics. This changes everything. These are not acts of peaceful protest. These are acts of domestic terror. See, we have to recognize that Trump has found his enemy as we enter into this summer leading into the election. The George Floyd protests have given Trump a new dog whistle that will ring in the same ears as the white supremacists who took heart in his spreading of the Obama birther conspiracy and his infamous good people on both sides of a rally in Charlottesville organized by Nazis that resulted in a vehicular homicide and no one was labeled a terrorist after that. 
Now, our dear Joe Biden, in a major speech delivered in Philadelphia on Tuesday, tried to establish his own narrative. You might remember in Barack Obama's first term, after Jeremiah Wright said that the chickens have come home to roost, that Obama had to make his own speech, and it happened in Philadelphia. So don't think that the location of this speech was an accident. Uh, was this Joe Biden's great race speech? I don't know. I mean, I do know that many people will get, um, many people are going to vote to get rid of Donald Trump no matter what, and polling data may very well continue to show people prefer Biden. But dear Joe Biden, we know what we are voting against, but what are we voting for? What is your story? Not your history, because your past is problematic, and nostalgia will not inspire voters. You can't go home again. This is an opportunity. What you got, Joe? Let's bring it. Mr. Mayor, thanks for your hospitality. And to uh, all the elected officials that are here, I bring you greetings. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. George Floyd's last words, but they didn't die with him. They're still being heard, echoing all across this nation. They speak to a nation where, too often, just the color of your skin puts your life at risk. They speak to a nation where more than 100,000 people have lost their lives to the virus and 40 million have filed for unemployment, with a disproportionate number of those deaths and job losses concentrated in black and brown communities. And they speak to a nation where every day millions of people, <clears throat> millions, not at the moment of losing their life, but in the course of living their life, are saying to themselves, I can't breathe. Okay, clearly the consensus here is that Biden appeared presidential, and I'm going to grant him that. While his speech, his speech was short on specific policies, and while in his entire 22-minute speech, he did not find the time to say the three simple words that white people need to say, black lives matter, he didn't say that. He did demonstrate empathy. And given the other utter shitstorm we've experienced, that should carry the day. But did you stick around for the end of the speech? I won't blame you if you didn't, because Joe was struggling a bit to find a rhythm to carry him over the finish line. But he ended with this. May God bless you all. And may God protect our troops. Thank you. Okay, in addition to God protecting the troops, how about a message that states clearly that he would support you, Trump, not God, that you, Biden, not God, would support the troops laying down their weapons if and when Trump tries to make good on his recent promises to send troops into states where he does not think the governors are doing enough to, quote, dominate the streets. We need someone acting like a president to give cover to troops should they decide to disobey any future orders from Trump to further militarize our streets. That would have been a welcome sentiment from you you, in your Philadelphia speech, Joe, we watched Donald Trump send signals to everyone he wanted to conspire with him that he was going to let them out of jail for free. We need you to do that for the U.S. military because we're going to need the U.S. military to put down their weapons. Because can you imagine, say, at the Republican National Convention, something like a Kent State happens? Can you imagine the police opening fire, not with rubber bullets, but with actual bullets, into a crowd. This keeps up, Joe, and this is going to happen. And we're going to need the military to stand down, not ramp up.
This pandemic has broken open the veneer of lies that prop up the illusion of a just society. Racial justice intersects with economic and climate justice, and U.S. policies advanced by both Democrats and Republicans have been aligned against that intersection for too long. So know, Joe, that many of us see you as a Trojan horse. Yes, to break the chains of Trumplandia and agitate a Democratic regime for justice. Writing about this pandemic moment, Aaron Dottie Roy points out that, quote, in the midst of this terrible despair, it offers us a chance to rethink the doomsday machine we have built for ourselves. Nothing could be worse than a return to normality. Historically, pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. This one is no different. It is a portal, a gateway between one world and the next. We can choose to walk through it, dragging the carcasses of our prejudice and hatred, our avarice, our databanks and dead ideas, our dead rivers and smoky skies behind us, or we can walk through lightly with little luggage, ready to imagine another world and ready to fight for it. Are you ready to let the drop the carcass of your history, Joe Biden, imagine another world and fight for it? because there can be no return to normal. Yours truly, Dennis Trainer Jr. And that's our show. The first week in this new series, folks, please help support the show by sharing it across your social media platforms and tag someone you know who should get involved in this journey, who should participate, who should see this video and watch and read these words. Thanks. I appreciate it. Hey, this is Acronym TV, so what do you stand for?